Hey, I'm Rifka. I'm a health coach and your guide to a more balanced, healthy lifestyle. And I'm Ida, mental health awareness advocate and ADD coach. Welcome to the From the Inside Out podcast. We're mumtrepreneurs and friends who love connecting through meaningful conversations. It all started in an Uber, where we were both inspired by how much we learned from each other's life experiences. We decided then and there to create this platform to invite you to join in our conversation and discover the joy of growth and personal transformation. We'll share the practical and valuable tools, tips, and shortcuts that may have taken us a little longer to learn. Yes, by combining our shared knowledge and expertise and the things that we do to bring more clarity and focus into our lives in mind, body, and soul. Join us in building a strong and supportive network of women who ignite positive change from the inside out. Welcome back to From the Inside Out. We hope you are safe and healthy. Thank you to those of you who subscribed and rated our podcast. We have some really exciting things ahead and incredible, inspiring guests who will be sharing timeless wisdom for us all. Our conversation with Dr. Edith Egger was unbelievable. And I feel like I didn't want it to end. I didn't want our time with her to end. It was really something that I'll always remember. It had such an impact on me. And it's amazing how a one hour conversation can encapsulate so much. It was like a crash course on life. And yes. know that you know, you and I weren't the only ones impacted because of all of the incredible feedback that we got. And that um, meant we know so that much too. Yeah, it's resonating. It's so, so meaningful. Yeah, and we're just touched to hear about the impact that her words had on so many of you. There were so many things that stood out to us in our conversation with Dr. Edith Eager, but there was one topic we both thought we should expand on, the notion that triggers are our mirrors, that our deepest pains and frustrations are not to be ignored because they have a lot to teach us about ourselves. And if addressed correctly, they can open up many new channels for growth and personal fulfillment. So in this episode, we will share some of the fundamentals to better understand how to deal with our emotional triggers. We'll share direct quotes from our conversation with Dr. Edith Eager. And she actually waited, she said in her podcast, 20 years to share her story. She wrote her book at 90 because there were so many triggers that had not been addressed. We are lucky to have had her wisdom and that we were able to share it with all of you. And we know Believe me, I know that it takes work and a growth mindset, reading and listening to new ideas. And even if it's just one aspect that is enlightening to us here today, it is a step forward to an empowering place from the inside out. So consider right. this a shortcut to personal empowerment. Yep. That's what we're all about, shortcuts. And it's amazing, just this title that we chose, how many of her quotes come into play with this topic. Yep. So let's start by defining what triggers are. Ida, do you want to go for that? I'll go for it. So a trigger in mental health terms refers to something that negatively affects our emotional state. And it often causes an intense physiological reaction to a stimulus. And that reaction usually comes in the form of hurt, anger, shame, guilt, or sadness. And, you know, we often associate triggers. When we hear the word triggers, we think, you know, PTSD or flashbacks after traumatic events, like normally war veterans experience these flashbacks or victims of abuse experience flashbacks of traumas. But triggers also happen to us at work and in relationships and in our interactions with strangers or in times of stress, where between the drama and the pressure to meet expectations, we actually keep those emotions trapped inside of us and they manifest 
in unhealthy ways, many times in the form of addiction, eating disorders, perfectionism. And we continue to think that other people or external things are triggering us, but what they really are doing, they're holding mirrors up to our triggers, which, you know, for every emotional reaction, there really is a, a root underlying cause. And that's something that you and I are going to discuss today. It's so important to talk about this. So let's talk about some examples of what common triggers look like. A kind of trigger, which I can relate to personally, happens when we feel that we were treated unfairly or someone says or does something hurtful to us. Even if we are justified in feeling hurt, letting the person get the better of us doesn't accomplish much. From experience, I know that being in that hurt place is not easy, but I also know that letting it fester isn't easy either. Right. And so the trigger happens when we feel offended or hurt by someone's remark or behavior, whatever it is that we were bothered by. And, you know, I, I often think of flight attendants. I don't know why. That's like the first thing that comes to mind because maybe because we used to so travel funny. so much. It's been a while since we've traveled. It's um, been about two months. <laughs> it's been two months. Yeah. But there's this memory that I have of being on flights, especially with kids. Like one that comes to mind is on a long flight. And I'm sure many parents could relate to this. You know, when your child falls asleep on the airplane and you will do whatever it takes to avoid that wake up. And even if you have to totally. sit uncomfortably. And I remember- Squished you know, in my a daughter, corner. I would do that right? for 24 hours flying to Australia just so that my little <laughs> one doesn't wake up. Takes, don't wake my sleeping child. And I was sitting on the plane. My daughter's head was on my lap and the seatbelt sign turned on. And, and the flight attendant came up to me and said- please fasten your daughter's seatbelt. And so I kind of like, I loosely wrapped the seatbelt around her, but it wasn't buckled. You should have, I start piling blankets on so they don't see. I'm like, yeah, 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 it's strapped. (laughs) And you know, and then they would, right. So she came up to me and she said, ma'am, you need to put that seatbelt on. And I felt like I was a child being sent to detention. And it really, it really did trigger me. There's a way to say it, you know? Yeah, yeah. And and I felt like, I don't know, maybe resentment. Like I totally, I let her get the better of me, even though I probably should have realized that she's probably in multiple time zones and maybe she didn't sleep very much. You know, maybe she's, she has some struggle that she's dealing with. And, you know, maybe if I was in her state, I'd be yelling at, I would be yelling at everybody too, you know, not to condone that behavior. I'm not saying that it's okay to treat someone like that, but you know, what was my goal? You know, after that trigger, you know, why was I upset? So I just think it's important that allowing the behavior of others or circumstances to assume power over us, that's not helpful. And we're essentially giving other people rent-free space in our heads when we do that. Yeah, I love that line. We're essentially giving others rent-free space in our heads. Right. doesn't belong to them. It belongs to us. Well, no one wants to be treated badly and it's not so much fun are being hurt. But what we do once we feel that trigger, that's what will determine whether we become a victim or take ownership of how we respond in such instances. Edith says, I was victimized, but I am not a victim. They were the prisoners, not me. That was so powerful. Edith recognized that her experience could get the better of her or it could be used as a gift. Like she said, there is a gift in everything, which really makes me meditate on this concept knowing everything that Edith had been through in Auschwitz and after the world as well. And it made me realize that if she can do that, I can do the same in my life as a lesson from her. That's what is amazing about her, that she was able to take her experience and make us feel like we can do this too, you know? Right. What really struck me, one of the things that she said 
was suffering is feeling. And it struck me because, you know, what she was acknowledging was that in order for her to heal and to overcome all those traumas and the triggers, it did require some suffering. And that was like a prerequisite for healing. And so many of us are reluctant to explore our triggers because it might mean that we're confronting certain truths that we're maybe not ready for because we're resistant to change and we are willing to go through such great lengths to avoid pain. But what we don't realize is that when we practice this avoidance, right, we're trying to get rid of this discomfort, we're not really getting rid of it. You know, there are millions of people out there who experience low-grade depression and they don't even know it. They don't even realize it because they've not allowed themselves to experience the discomfort that's necessary for growth. So for every emotional reaction, there is a root underlying cause. And oftentimes it comes from childhood or past experience. And sometimes therapy could come in handy depending on the level of emotional pain one experiences. Well, Edith said she could have used an Edie. She could have used herself to help her when she was younger. And now as a psychologist, the first thing she asks her clients is, when did your childhood end? What did you miss out on? When her granddaughter got dressed for a dance and she started crying, she didn't know why she was crying and getting so emotional about her granddaughter dressed up for a dance. And she realized it was because she never got to dance. So exploring the source of our issues and opening up about it is essential. When we resolve the underlying issue, the symptoms don't show up as loudly. Right. And I see it with my own life as well, how much triggers connect us to our childhood and tell us where to work. They give us hints as to what's going on. We can't heal what we can't see. So I like to think of triggers as flashlights in our own darkness. I love that. I love the whole no the notion of flashlights because it reminds me of the expression like when you say a light bulb went on or you know this was eye opening those moments are moments when we feel enlightened because we shine a flashlight usually within ourselves not on yeah. someone else and um and that becomes a teaching moment for us when we when we open our eyes. And speaking of teaching, Edith also said the most obnoxious person is your best teacher. Help. <laughs> I have to have those words in my mind, you know? Yeah. It's so amazing how Hasidus shares her very words that it is our duty to examine our own position. Hasidus says our struggle is a test. And I'm so amazed at the parallel we find in psychology and in Tanya. It's like one line of Tanya corresponds to so many books that we've read. And I love that psychology offers a contemporary view on these timeless principles. Yeah, yep. So it says in Pirkei Avot, Ethics of Our Fathers, judge not your fellow man until you have stood in his place. It's their physical environment and background that affect the behavior and we don't reside there. So it's amazing. That's what it says in the words of Tanya. It's their physical environment and their background. And we just spoke about this from psychology. I guess imagine someone is really nasty to you. And then you find out later that they are going through a serious struggle. So their struggle is their test. The mirror for us here is what is the lesson for me? How am I going to react to this? What is it trying to teach me? And that's wow. what Edith was trying to convey to us too. That's so profound. I feel like I need a few seconds to absorb it because how often do we feel like we're treated unfairly and we're maybe angry at this person? If we were to be told that this person just went through something, how quickly would we suspend it would, judgment? It or would be definitely, less angry? yeah, it would, it would help a lot, but we most times do not know what right. is going on. And it's not only what's going on in their situation now, it's how they grew up in their childhood, what went on then, how they were raised, things they went through. We're not necessarily right. their mirror. But it's a mirror for us to see how we're going to handle it. Right. Just by us talking about it right now, 
hopefully will help all of us tap into that place when someone does hurt us. Right. And no one's saying that it's easy. No one's saying it's going to be easy to, to manage the emotions we feel when we're hurt or when we feel triggered. But we have to remember that it doesn't have to be, well, it shouldn't be easy because we said discomfort is a prerequisite for growth. I heard this line on a podcast and it rings so true. Many of the kindest people have been hurt the worst. Many of the most peaceful people have been hurt with violence. And this was in reference to an example that was given in history, Martin Luther King Jr. He was committed to the idea of nonviolence, even though he was hurt the most through violence. He didn't feel he would have a positive impact this way. We need to look at reacting in a place of having an impact. Martin Luther King didn't think it would be beneficial or wise or practical to show violence because that wasn't going to be empowering for him and it wasn't going to have an impact on the world. Right. He responded by seeking a peaceful solution. And that's why he's considered a hero today. He had those triggers and look at the, uh, the result of responding to a trigger right. in a productive, if, impactful way. Right. If he would have responded the same way, he would not have had an impact. Exactly. Uh, Edith actually talked about this too. She, she spoke about this on the podcast. She had a client who came to her and said he wants to kill all the Jews. Right. And she said she could have yelled at him after everything she's been through, especially, you know, to get out of her, her office. But she paused and she recognized that if she did that, it would be an emotional reaction and it wouldn't have an impact on this person, which she ended up having an impact on. Right. This is a little bit kind of off topic here, but now I'm going back to Sarah Khanna Radcliffe to our, our, okay. um, our podcast interview with Sarah Khanna, who's a parenting expert. And she said, if we respond with very, very calm energy by responding to something harsh with something that is completely opposite of what we are inclined to do, that is what really produces the most impact, the greatest impact. Totally relates to this. You know, we're born with love. Edith says this. She said that we're born with love. And then, you know, over time we start to react poorly because, well, for various reasons, one of which is that we become experts at rationalizing our behaviors and our responses. And one of the many wonders of our special brains is how masterfully we can rationalize or how masterfully our brains can rationalize our behaviors. So, you know, we're triggered and we react and then we very quickly concoct reasons and justifications for our behaviors, even if the reason doesn't really make sense because, you know, we, we humans can't do any wrong without eventually rationalizing that wrong. And this is what makes judgment so pervasive in, in our society today. Exactly. But there's actually another type of trigger that can cause us to judge others. And that is judging their actions, not necessarily something someone said or did to us that hurt us, but it comes from us criticizing others, which is a form of judgment. And we all know someone who is critical, don't we? <laughs> sure do. <laughs> that person yeah. who likes to highlight people's flaws and magnify them, in this case, triggers our mirrors. You know, in the case of when someone hurts us, it's not necessarily that we are like them at all. The mirror is how are we going to react? What lesson is this going to give us that we shouldn't allow them to take over our minds? That is a mirror. But in this case, when someone is judging somebody else, usually, actually, Rabbi Sheistel told me that in a Sikha of the Rebbe, he said, a Yid is a Spiegel. A Jew is a mirror. We are mirrors when we are being judgmental, when we are pointing fingers at somebody else. When someone gets sanctimonious and self-righteous, it is a mirror in them. The question to ask is, why are we so upset with that person? And Shakespeare referred to this in his writings when he said, 
she doth protest too much. And we see so much of, of that, like pointing fingers, and um, which ultimately really means that we are in judgment mode. And it's, what you said is so true. Like I said, as a matter of fact, if you point your finger, right? If you point your finger right now, um, try doing try it. That. See what happens with your other fingers, right? One finger pointing out, the other three are pointing right back at you. Oh, wow. I see what you mean. I'm very excited about this right now because I have a really nice manicure. <laughs> <laughs> you know, in my training, I learned that, you know, in counseling or therapy, there's an intervention that's used called the I statements, where oftentimes, like, for example, if a couple comes in for therapy or even someone comes in individually, generally the presenting problem, which is what the, the issue they're coming in to address is often something about an external force, something that someone else is doing. I think with couples, it's an easy example to share because oftentimes when there's a marital um, issue, it's generally pointing fingers like, well, he didn't do this and she didn't do that. And she's always so critical and he never takes out the garbage and so, so on and so forth. But there's a lot of pointing fingers. And what many therapists and counselors believe is very effective is to change the use of eyes. So instead of saying, how can you do this? Right. Let's say, how can you dress this way? How can you act this way? Start your sentence with I. So the point is that it's not about what the other person is doing. It's about what I need and being able to convey that in a way where I'm clear about what I need and I'm more likely to get my needs met. You know what I'm thinking about as uh you're talking, talking about couples, there's this whole concept in Imago theory, mirroring. It's so funny. We're talking about triggers and mirrors. So when you're talking to your spouse and you don't feel like they're understanding you, they are meant to mirror our feelings. Do you know what I mean? So they're kind of putting themselves in our shoes. That's another very effective um, intervention that is used with couples. So they have the concept of mirrors again. Yeah. Um, I saw this lecture on um, on the yeshiva.net, which I highly recommend. It's it's a marriage lecture that actually my husband and I sponsored um, that was uh, where a therapist gave uh, a seminar to newlyweds and to, to young men who either getting married or have just gotten married. So in this example, there's a couple, they go to the supermarket together and they have a cart full of groceries. And they're checking out and someone comes up to them and, and has only one or two items and says, excuse me, can I just cut in front of you? And the, and the husband tells this person, um, I'm sorry, no, we're in a rush. And his wife was mortified. And she said, how could you be so insensitive? He had one item. He's in a rush. And her husband said, what do you mean? I'm in a rush too. Why should he cut in line? He should sit in line like everyone else. And they were going back and forth. And they went to the therapist and they had this issue when they stopped. To they probably fingers. went to the therapist, not because of this issue, but many other issues. And that's a whole nother conversation. Yeah. And where the presenting problem is almost um, never what they're really there for. That's just right. kind of a, an opening. But um, basically, long story short, essentially what happened was instead of using you statements, they used I statements. So she said, I feel very like insensitive when we don't let someone, let's say, cut in the line. And um, they both shared their feelings and they came up with a solution where whenever they're shopping together, if someone asks if they can get the line, the husband will allow them to do it. But if he's by himself, he's not doing it because oh, I'd, I'd love not. to see them in the supermarket now. Right. Um, yeah. But the point, the point is, you know, to, to expect someone else to change, that's a lot more difficult than sharing what we need. Well, speaking of supermarkets, let's talk about <laughs> triggers and food. So the first step in tackling food cravings or triggers is understanding what's going on, why it's there. It's like, is it more about what we're eating or is just the fact that we're looking to food for solace when we're triggered? Yeah, so that's a good question. And this is what you've got to do. 
before you reach out to take the food. Stop for a moment. The same way we need to meditate on why we are triggered by people or a situation, you know, we really need to pause and, and analyze what's going on with ourselves. We need to pause when we are triggered by food. Once we take that moment and think about why we are triggered by this food, is it perhaps an emotion and not hunger itself? And like anxiety, which is common in women for craving and binge eating, loneliness, excitability, boredom, feeling overwhelmed, or are you indeed hungry? And I love the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T. Are you hungry? Are you angry? Are you lonely? Or are you tired? You pause and you ask yourself those four words, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. And you may actually be hungry because you are not having enough nutrients in your diet enough nourishment, or you're not having enough healthy fats in your meal in order to feel satisfied till the next meal. Or you may be eating sugar and white flour that do increase your chances of craving more food. So if you don't have those symptoms, then it may very well be the emotion. But once you take that moment to be more intentional about why you are reaching out for the food and you halt tapping into how you feel, if you are really hungry or if you are emotional, or even if you are tempted by others eating, you can move to the next step, which is making a choice. I love this quote. Your choices are more powerful than your cravings. Or you can say your choices are more powerful than your trigger. Make a choice to do something else instead of succumbing to the craving. So action is extremely important here. Your choices are more powerful than your cravings. Yeah. I love the acronym HALT. It's just a good thing to know. It's a good thing to put on the refrigerator and a good reminder to be more consciously aware of what we're eating and how we're eating. And especially in a Jewish home where our lives revolve so much around food and we're always in the kitchen. And I feel like I'm always in the kitchen and that fridge has a magnetic pull to it. Like if I put a camera in my kitchen, I can't tell you how many times I would just see people opening the fridge. Like if we counted how many times a day we open the fridge... Especially now in quarantine as well, you know? Yeah, yeah. So the question is, are we consciously eating? So are we aware of our intention? And are we eating because we're hungry or because we're bored or sad or triggered? And when there's delicious baked goods out, I eat them, whether or not I'm hungry. And my husband has been cooked. Has, he just started baking during quarantine, which yeah. this stuff is irresistible. I will go into the kitchen having in mind that I, I want to eat something healthy and then I'll just grab that unhealthy snack. I don't know if this is related to any triggers, you can ask yourself, are you hungry or are you triggered? And do you actually want to enjoy that donut? You know, let's say you do decide to make the choice to enjoy the comfort food. Right. Right. Um, your husband made delicious donuts. I saw them when I were preparing one of our podcasts. And trust me, I would want one of those dairy donuts. <laughs> You can, that, that's what balanced, healthy eating is all about, you know, enjoying the things that really speak to you and that bring you some joy and pleasure. So if you do decide to make that choice to enjoy the comfort food, ask yourself, where do you draw the line? When you have one piece of the delicious cheesecake, even let's say that, you know, Shavuos is coming up, it can be, it really can be a comfort and a pleasure. I know it is for me because I love cheesecake and it's one of my favorite indulgences. But once you go further than a hunger or a comfort, it's not pleasurable any longer. So keep in mind what comfort and pleasure really do mean. The point is not to feel unwell afterward. The point is to have the comfort and pleasure in order to feel empowered after and joyful. I love that. That's great. And one thing I do know is that pizza, and this always <laughs> happens to me when we order pizza, I'll have one slice, right? 
And that one slice is delicious. And after that slice, I'm okay. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't, you know, one slice is filling enough for me, but then I'll almost always grab a second slice. Right. And, and as soon as I'm done, I immediately feel like I overate. I didn't halt. I didn't. And also now you're going to have a definition of what comfort food really means, but right. how you want to feel afterwards. It was interesting how Edith brought up food cravings. When she said, wasn't it so cute the way she said, if you want to lose some weight and you're picking out on banana splits, I don't know if any of you guys <laughs> I haven't heard that. that. I haven't heard banana splits in ages. That was really but, funny. But wasn't that so adorable how she said it? But right. she acknowledged that thoughts are important, but emphasized the importance of action. Like you can have all the thoughts in the world, but if you don't put them into action, then nothing's going to actually happen. And I loved her quote, love is not what you feel, it's what you do. So when you halt, and let's say you realize you're not actually hungry, it's not really comfort food for you. you go on a walk or a jog, if it's anxiety or something like that, or if you're lonely, call a friend, put your feeling into action instead of allowing that trigger of the food to be the thing that you go for. So it's about making your own choice, like to take something healthy instead of chips, let's say or an extra one of those um, delicious donuts that your husband makes. It, you know, take something unprocessed, like a juicy fruit. If it's a delicious dairy cheesecake that you love, for Shavuos, make a healthy alternative, like make a healthier cheesecake. Or take, like we said, take a small amount that brings you just that right amount of comfort. I like that you say choice, because choice is what Edith, <laughs> Dr. Edith was all about, is choosing. You know, we have to be active participants here. We can't expect there to be a kitchen full of delicious baked goods and to not succumb to the cravings. Right. So we have to, we have to put things in place, like set ourselves up. Sometimes you'll make that choice to actually enjoy that delicious indulgence. And sometimes you'll make a choice to have something healthier and you want to do more of the healthy foods. But if you do feel that triggers are too overwhelming for you to have around like these food triggers, don't keep that obstacle in your way create an environment where doing the right thing is as easy as possible. And I say possible because I know it's not always possible. Like if your husband's going to make those donuts, you're not going to tell him not to make those donuts. And I know of Shabbos and Yontif, we do have things in our home, but do the best you can to make your environment less triggering. This works really well for me. I make my cheesecakes in muffin holders. I find that easier because this way I'm going to have one instead of trimming the whole cake by the, by the time yes. you, so fine, you keep Portion trimming, control. you've yeah, had, yeah. you'd have had half a cake. <laughs> I actually had a client, a writer in Manhattan that wrote a book on addiction and she shared a line with me that made a whole lot of sense. Put as many obstacles between you and your addiction as possible. I feel like if we get to that place where we recognize the difference between comfort and pleasure, then when we eat that cheesecake, we'll enjoy it so much more knowing that we don't have to feel bad or guilty that we're eating it. Like right. back to your, your balanced 80-20 rule where, yeah, it's okay to have cheesecake, make smaller portions. On that note, everybody, enjoy your cheesecake over Shavuos. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have a recipe well, on your I do. Your blog? I do. do. Yes. Okay, I'm, I'm going to check have. that out. We want to end with an acronym we created together, which is very exciting to sum up what we've talked about today. Okay, so the acronym is for the word mirror, which is very apropos considering that's what we're talking about today. Okay, so we have the M is for meditate, pause, be self-reflective, halt, like Rivka, you mentioned earlier. You know, sometimes when we feel triggered, we confuse our emotions. The emotions that we're feeling are not necessarily the ones that we're using. So for example, like we'll lash out in anger about something when really there's something beneath the surface like shame or something very different from what we think it is. So pausing when we feel that trigger, 
easier said than done, but still possible. Pausing to allow the time for self-reflection can really help us define our emotions to recognize what's going on. Is it us trying to seek some kind of comfort or, or fill a void or are we seeking pleasure? Like what's going on? So M is for meditate to allow ourselves to pause, be reflective, breathe. Breathing is super effective if we do it properly. In our episode yeah. with Sarah Hannah Radcliffe, she actually shares how to breathe. Next is I. Focus on the I. How can I learn from this trigger? What is making me get triggered in this moment? Don't blame or question the person or circumstance you are triggered by. Rather focus on what I can do and how I can learn from this. So I statements. It's not about the behavior of others. It's about our own responses. The next is R for respect. Respect starts with us. We have to respect ourselves, which means we accept our past. We accept our challenges as they are in the present moment with a growth mindset. What that means is that we recognize that they're there, not try to get rid of them, but get to know what's going on. And when we do this, we become more likely to start respecting others. We respect that others also have their journey and we can suspend judgment on them. And that's really when we can grow in our own lives. There's another R, respond. <laughs> Responding is different from reacting. What action steps will I take? So we can ask ourselves, what is the best thing I can do that it will ensure that I don't dwell on the trigger or allow it to undermine my growth? This is a teaching moment put into action. How can I break the patterns of reactivity so we are not stuck in them? We can work on ourselves on the inside, from the inside out. And as either said, and I love this, find a hobby that fuels you. Try to connect to the things that make us feel alive. Be curious instead of judgmental. And Edith said that her curiosity keeps her forever young. I'm totally going to keep that in mind. Are you, Ida? Absolutely. Because you want to be forever young. Ask what might be going on. Shine that flashlight. So we have O now. O is for open up. Talk to someone you trust about the things that trigger you because holding things inside does not resolve them. And talking about them will lessen their power over you and lead you on a path of greater self-awareness. And whether it's a therapist or someone you know you can trust, someone you're close with, you know, even a journal, because a journal is about expression. I believe it's it's more therapeutic to be able to connect and talk to someone, but a journal is a good alternative. You know, if we don't express our feelings, they will hold us hostage. And I love what Edith said about expression. She said the opposite of depression is expression that if we yeah. don't share it it lives inside of us um, it'll simmer and, and breed a lot of resentment most probably and actually love that my children have that opportunity today like i feel like when we grew up somehow we didn't feel like we could as much right. as the, the teenagers growing up today yeah have, for sure i think and i think Brene brown has a lot to do with that and, and i think more recently we've become more authentic as a society but we have a long way to go Although we're, you know, we're a lot better equipped now than we were before. People are much more open to seeking counseling or therapy than they were before and even talking about it. Yeah. Yeah. Ah, there's yet another R. <laughs> this R is rise above. Rising above means connecting to a power greater than you. In Tanya chapter 32, which Ida and I just read together this morning, it says... The basis of Torah is to help elevate our souls so that we recognize how our souls take precedence over our bodies, our physical externalities. When we actively engage in learning 
and choose joy, kindness, and love, we rise above our triggers and build an inner renewable resource that will produce a constant flow of energy that will positively impact us and the people around us. I love the whole concept of renewable resource because it's some, it's like the gift that keeps on giving. You know, I, I don't think I've ever gone to a Torah class or um, spiritually connected experience and not felt elevated afterwards, like ready to to tackle whatever it is I needed to tackle. And it's, yeah. I think it's so important to stay connected. Even when it seems lofty, there's something that you can take with you and apply into your daily life, you know? Right. I mean, we, we may not always see it outright, but it does have an impact. So we're going to try to remember this acronym, MIRA, because triggers are our mirrors, especially when we look in the mirror, because Edith actually said to us in the last podcast to look in the mirror and look at ourselves and really love ourselves. You know, she said self-love is self-care. Be a good mommy to you. So, Mira, meditate. I, focus on the I, like I statements. Respect. Respond. Open up. And rise above. And keep rising. Triggers help us learn our truths. Fundamental truths about ourselves that can elevate us to a place where we radiate positive energy and positivity. Edith Eager learned her truth through the ultimate triggers, and that is what ultimately set her free. In Edith's words, here you are, in the sacred present. I can't heal you or anyone, but can celebrate your choice to dismantle the prison in your mind, brick by brick. You can't change what happened. You can't change what you did or what was done to you but you can choose how to live now. My precious, you can choose to be free.